because I've had a pretty good relationship with God, and I've, for the most part, I've been, I've been pretty satisfied with my view, my understanding of who God is. However, book has shown me the filters that I have. You know how much of a filter I still have, and how much of a an idea of the Father I have that is inaccurate. I'm just going to turn this amp off. <clears throat> I'm surprised by how many filters I have that make me think of God in ways other than he truly is. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. I'm thinking it's true of most of us. And so I'm sitting back there doing worship, and especially during that last song, I'm thinking, I'm reminded that, you know, the Apostle John writes to us in his first epistle. He says that God is love. The, the one word that he uses to define who God is, is he defines him as love. And, and then my thoughts went to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he describes love. And, and so I opened it up on my, my little electronic Bible here on my iPhone to the part in 1 Corinthians 13 I know all you guys are familiar with that says, you know, what love is. And so if... First John 4 says that God is love. And then if 1 Corinthians 13 is describing us what love is, I don't think it's a misinterpretation of Scripture to read it this way. God never gives up. God cares more for others than for himself. What if you think about just those first two phrases? God will never, ever, ever give up on you. And God cares more about you than he cares about himself. Is that how you think of God? I tell you what, there are times I've wondered, even with a good relationship with him, there are times I've wondered if he's really out for what's his best than my best. And that's not the truth. The truth is, God cares more for others, like me, than he does for himself. God doesn't want what he doesn't have. God doesn't strut. I'm using the, the messages uh, translation of 1 Corinthians 13. I like it. God doesn't strut. Anybody like anyone who struts? I don't like when people strut. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, the Celtics beat the Knicks. Oh, and at the end of the game, who was it? I'm trying to remember the name of the player. He's kind of doing this airplane Paul Pierce, yes, yeah, he's doing this airplane thing, kind of like he's soaring around the court. I'm thinking, man, if I was there, I want to punch him right in the face. <laughs> That's the epitome of strut. God doesn't strut. God doesn't have a swelled head. How about this one? God doesn't force himself on others. Hmm, that sounds like the God I know. God isn't always me first. Ooh, this one, this one will be earth-shattering for some of us. God doesn't fly off the handle. How about this? This will change your whole life. This will change your whole life. God doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. That's what, I'm reading the Word of God. God is love. And it says that love doesn't keep a score of the sins of others, right? 
kind of reminds you of some other scripture verses where he says he takes our sin and he does what? He casts it behind his back. And he remembers it no more. That he, he sends it as far as the east as from the west. He throws it into the sea of what? Forgetfulness, right? He doesn't remember your sin. Hmm. God doesn't revel when others grovel. God takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. <laughs> this I know. God puts up with anything. He's put up with me. God always trusts God. God always looks for the best. You believe that? When he's looking at you, when the almighty God of the universe, when your heavenly father looks at you, he's looking for the best. He's looking for the best in you. He's not looking for the worst in you. He's not looking for what's wrong with you. He's looking for the best in you. This, the, the book says it. God never looks back. Hmm. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Love never looks back. But love keeps going to the end. Because love never dies. God never dies. Hmm. As the pastor of this church, if I could accomplish only one thing, and if I did nothing else, I think it would be amazing. If I could somehow give you a new vision of who the Father is. If I could give you a new filter. If I could take out the old filter and give you a new filter that lets you see clearly who the Heavenly Father is, that would be awesome. I feel like my life would be a success. He loves you <laughs> because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because that's who he is. He's love. We serve an, a, an amazing God who loves us lavishly and extravagantly. And it's not dependent upon our circumstances. <laughs> and it's not dependent upon our behavior or our performance. He's good to us, not because we're good. He's good to us because he's good. And it's who he is. He loves us, not because we're lovable. And you guys are pretty lovable. But he loves us because he is love. And to not love us would mean he'd have to deny himself. He can't deny himself. He really loves you. He loves the good in you. He loves the bad in you. He loves the ugly in you and me. He loves us. He really loves you. Hmm. Okay. Nadine and I had a really good trip last week, and we're glad to be back. Jenny, thank you for pinch hitting. I listened to the message. She did a great job. Didn't Jenny do a great job last week? Thank you, Jenny. We have our usual list of activities this week. There's prayer at Jenny's house on Tuesday morning, dream interpretation, outreach Tuesday night at the Spoon. Um, Wednesday's food pantry at 6, Maurice's small group at 7.30. We will have the book club this week unless we have another major snowstorm.
And uh, we're, still, uh, we're still at chapters 13 and 14. Um, youth group Saturday, presence into practice at Tim and Candace's house. And um, I've been updating the website. If we do have a bad snowstorm on a Saturday night, just go to our website, thebridgelongisland.com, and I'll, I'll have up on that main page whether or not the service is uh, canceled. If it's not canceled, it'll be the regular picture. If it's canceled, I'll have a sign up there that says service is canceled, so in case you're wondering. All right, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Keep a finger in there, I'll get to it eventually. All that beginning part about love, that was a freebie. That wasn't, that wasn't in the notes. Today I want to share with you um, a vision I had a while ago. Uh, I want to share the, <coughs> excuse me, the revelation that God had given me, my interpretation of it, and maybe make some kind of application. But let me begin by sharing um, some basic things. I think these are some things that are worth sharing at the beginning of a year. It's good reminders. If you've looked on our website, these are, these are on our website under what I call our ethos. And an ethos is, um, an ethos is defined this way. It's the disposition, character, or funda fundamental values uh, particular to a specific person, people, culture, or movement. An ethos is the disposition, character, or fundamental values particular to a specific person, people, culture, or movement. You can find that on freedictionary.com. Well, to put it more simply, an ethos is the fundamental character or spirit of a culture. My ethos, my personal ethos, has become our ethos for the bridge Long Island. Why? Because, honestly, because a pastor has an effect on his people and impacts the culture of a group. <clears throat> so let me remind you of my ethos slash our ethos. And I, I define it in four words. Freedom, passion, spirit, and destiny. Freedom, and a part of our ethos, our fundamental values, is freedom. <clears throat> Personally and corporately, we're exploring the fullness of the freedom that's already ours in Christ Jesus. For Galatians 5.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So I want to live, I want to live completely free. And I want others to do the same. I told you when I first got here, I don't want to control you. I can barely control me. Heck, I don't want to control you. And that my vision of the church is an airport. Remember that? Remember me telling you guys that when I first got here? <clears throat> I can remember... It was a Sunday morning but before service. I was praying. This is back in our Washington days. And I was pondering uh, the common metaphors that people use for church, that the church is an army, right? We're doing spiritual warfare. Or the church is a school where people get trained. Or the church is a hospital where wounded, sick people come to get well. Or the church is a family where we have a sense of community. And as I was pondering those things, I just kind of ha had a sense of the that still small voice of God speak to me. He says, what about if the church were an airport? I began to ponder that. The church is an airport. I never looked at it that way before. Now, if I'm the operations manager of an airport, and I've got a tarmac filled with 
stranded aircraft and I have um, terminals filled with stranded passengers, I'm not doing my job, right? Matter of fact, I'm probably going to get fired. But if I'm doing my job right as the operations manager of, a, of an international airport, then I want to see airplane come in on time safely and I want to see them take off on time safely. I don't want them stranded at the airport. Why? Because the airport is not their final destination. Some people land at one airport only to pick up another plane to go someplace else. Or heck, even if you've reached your destination city, the airport is not your final stop. Right? You're going to get off the plane, you're going to pick up your bags, you're going to get a cab and, or, or your car, and you're going to go home. Your home, or, or visiting whatever the, the purpose is for your visit, you're going to go to that place. You're not, <laughs> let me repeat, you're not going to stay at the airport. So, if the church is an airport, then this ought to be a connecting point to your destiny to your destination. And if we're doing our job well, some planes will come in, they'll stay for a little while, and then they'll take off. And they'll take people to their destiny. I think the church is supposed to be an airport, along with being a family and an army and a hospital and a school. That denotes freedom. I don't own you. As the pastor of the church, <laughs> as the operations manager of the airport, I don't own you. I don't want to control you. I want to help you. I want to do everything I can to help you come in on time, land safely, and take off on time. And I ought to be just as excited when you take off, if you take off on time and, safe, and safely, as when you come in and land, right? So, maybe bigger isn't better. There are some big airports, there's some little airports. Maybe we're just a little airport. But if the planes are coming in on time and going out on time, then we're doing our job right. Make sense? That sounds like freedom to me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I want to... So, dead battery, sorry about that. I want to see you come in on time. I want to see you go out on time. That's freedom. That sets people free. I'll take care of that later. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That's a major part of, of our ethos is that people will be free. Second is passion. I want to live a passionate life. I want to be a passionate lover. I do. I want to be a passionate lover of God. I want to be a passionate lover of people. And I want to be a passionate lover of life. And I want to be a passionate lover of those who don't know God. I guess that falls on the people. Second part of my ethos, I want to love passionately. When describing what was most important, Jesus told us to do this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's Mark 12.30. To me, that sounds like an all-you've-got kind of love. That sounds passionate. 
I want to be a man, and I want us to be a people who love God and love one another passionately. Passionate worship. Passionate relationships. Passionate outreach. Now, I know I'm a little bit extreme, <laughs> but those first two aspects of my ethos are freedom and passion. They mean so much to me. I had freedom tattooed on this arm. <laughs> I had passion tattooed on this arm. It's who I am. It's part of who I am. And if anybody has a question, I can just open my arms and show them. And I'll be happy to, to communicate and explain and define why they're there. Two parts of my ethos. The third one is this. Spirit. I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not content to live an academic and intellectual faith only. I want to live, I want to have a, a finely tuned, mature, intellectual, academic understanding of our faith. But I don't want to stop there. And I think it's one of the failings of so much of the American church. And, and the church has been filtered by our Western worldview mindset. A Greek understanding everything that comes through the mind and not so much through the heart. If we weren't supposed to live spirit-filled lives, then why did Jesus send the Spirit? Right? He could have just, we wouldn't need the Trinity, it just could have been Father and Son. But he gave us his Spirit. And I want to live, I want to experience the fullness of what that gift that God has offered to us has. The scripture says to taste and see that God is good. I want to taste his goodness. What does it taste like? Is it sweet? Is it salty? Is it textured? Is it smooth? If I'm supposed to taste his goodness, then it ought to have some flavor to it. And I want to see the goodness of God. What does God's goodness look like? Does it have color? Is it translucent? Does it have movement to it? Is there depth? Do the colors change? I want to taste. I want to do what God's word says to do. I want to taste and see his goodness. I want to live an experiential life in God. I don't want to stop at the place of being intellectual. Galatians 5, verse 16 and verse 25 say this. This is what Paul writes to us. It's in the Bible. So I say, live by the Spirit. So I say live by the Spirit. Does that sound like an intellectual or academic experience? Or does that sound like a supernatural, experiential life? I think living by the Spirit involves experiencing the Spirit. To take it a step further, verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's an ongoing journey. I think the day is coming when we will have to live by the Spirit. I don't think we're in that day now. I think there's a day coming somewhere in the future, could be beyond my life, but I think a day is coming when the only way sick people will get well is if it happens because we've prayed for them. I think a day is coming when the only way that there'll be food on the table is if we pray and foods multiply. Remember Y2K? Everybody was storing up stuff for Y2K. I, I, I remember when that was going on. I, I remember thinking, okay, 
maybe it's not a bad idea to have some extra water or some extra food on hand. Some people too had, did it to an extreme. They had months worth of resources. Some people had a couple of years worth of resources. I remember going visiting a guy's house. He took me out in his garage, and he had boxes and boxes of, you know, these, you know, end of the world type supplies. He was ready for the apocalypse. I mean, if things went down, you wanted to be at his house, right? On one wall, he had all the food and water. On the other wall, he had all the guns. He was, was going to be all right. I don't know. If Walmart's closed for three days, I think I'm in trouble. But okay, so if a day comes and things get really that bad, and I've got food stored up in my house, and I've got water stored up in my house, and I have enough that me and Nadine and my two kids, that we're good for a year right? And Candace comes and knocks on my door and says that Caleb is hungry. Am I going to feed Caleb or I'm going to say, take out my shotgun and say, just keep on going? <laughs> what am I going to do? What would be the Christian thing to do? What would be the right thing for a pastor to do? So I have my resources stored up, but of course I'm going to share it with her. How could I not? Caleb is so adorable. He got that cute little face. He wants a drink of water. Of course, I'm going to give it to him. Well, what if she brings the whole family with her? Will I, give, will I share my resources with all of them? And will I only feed them today? What about tomorrow and the next day and the next week? And what if she brings over some friends? I think the, it would be good to have food on hand. I think the ability to supernaturally multiply that food would be really useful in those kind of settings. Because no matter how much I've, I've stored up, Eventually, it could run out. Or the needs around me are going to be so great. I think right now, we have the option. We have practice time. The game hasn't really started, as it were. We could practice living by the Spirit now, and it cost us very little. But I believe we were created to live supernatural lives in the power of the Spirit. What if we practice now, and we get good at healing the sick now, and seeing in the spirit now, and multiplying food now, because the day is going to come where the only safe way that we know to go is because we've seen that safe way by the spirit. Or the only way that it'll be food for us and our whole community is that we have faith to pray that food will be multiplied, and it does. That's a supernatural life. We don't have to do that right now. I could just drive the wall bounds. I could buy enough food to feed everybody. Give Nadine a few minutes, she'll whip up something really good. But I want to live a supernatural life. And I want to help other people live a supernatural life in the power of the Spirit. That's part of my personal ethos. That's part of our ethos. And the, and, and the fourth one is destiny, along with freedom and passion and spirit. is destiny. I want to fulfill my purpose. I want to reach my God-given destiny. I think when he knit me together in my mother's womb, he had a plan. He said, oh, I like Tom. And there are places I want Tom to go, and there are things I want Tom to do. There are people I want him to interact with. I want to go to those places and interact with those people and do those things. I want to be who he de destined me to be, who he created me to be. And part of what stirs within me is to do that for other people. Let God use me as a, an encourager, as a cheerleader, as a motivator, as an equipper, as a trainer 
to help other people get further on the journey in their destiny. We were all created for a purpose. I want to fulfill mine and do all that I can to help others fulfill theirs. Really, that's the essence of Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. Most of you are familiar with these verses that speak about the fivefold ministry. But listen, listen, be, listen to what's in that text beyond the five offices that are mentioned of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Listen what goes on around that verse. Verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? <laughs> Why did he give these guys? Verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service. So that why? Why did he want them to be prepared? So that the body may be built up. For how long? Until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Are we there yet? <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. So I think preparing God's people, as it says like in the beginning of verse 12, is still necessary. To prepare God's people to do what God created them to do. So the whole body will be healthy. So we'll all be mature. So we'll be filled with the fullness of God. That's reaching our destiny. So my personal ethos, the ethos that's in affected and impacted our community. It's freedom, passion, spirit, and destiny. And I kind of use that as an introduction. For me, living supernaturally has become a fundamental characteristic of who I am and a non-negotiable core value. I, it, it's, at least at this phase of my life, it's not changing. I see myself as a novice, certainly not an expert. But I see things. <laughs> he gives me pictures, and I see things. And I'm really grateful that he does. And so I encourage you to follow me as I follow Christ. And together, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. People who know me best will tell you that I'm just a man with clay feet and a broken heart. And so I don't see perfectly. I see some. Um, I see a lot sometimes. I've heard John Paul Jackson say that when it comes to revelatory ministry, that he's still in kindergarten. <laughs> Well, if that's the truth, then I'm an amoeba, you know? <laughs> Especially when it comes to the supernatural. So please be patient with me. I'm still very much in the process of discovering what I should and shouldn't do with the revelation God has given me. You know, as we mature as adults... We learn the art of, you know, what to say and what not to say, right? As we grow up, we, we know that we can have thoughts in our head, but that doesn't mean those thoughts come out of our mouth, right? As 
anybody else had embarrassing children who said things that they shouldn't have said, right? Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. You know, and, but as they grow up, as we've grown up, we learn. I might think that in my head, but it's not going to come through my mouth. Well, I guess seeing supernaturally kind of has that element to it. I'll see things, but it doesn't always mean I should say what I see. And sometimes I figure out that balance well, and sometimes I don't. So I'm working on it. Hmm. I know that there have been times when I've shared more than I should have because I'm excited. Ooh, look what happened to me. <laughs> I'm really thrilled. God showed me something. And I want you to know about it. It's pretty exciting. It's cool. It's fun. And then other times I know I share less because it's really weird what I see sometimes. And I don't want to be judged. And I don't want to be criticized. And I don't want to be rejected. And so, you know, sometimes I know I, I share less than I should. And so as he matures me, I think it's getting a little bit better. I'm also learning that sometimes God gives me this grand vision. There'll be lots of elements to it. But really all he wants to do is just share one part of it. It's like I read a great book. <laughs> but I can't tell you the whole book. But I can share excerpts from the book, and it may inspire you. It might um, encourage you. It might motivate you. And I'm absolutely convinced that God graciously gives me visions. He lets me see supernaturally in the spirit, not <laughs> because I'm good, but because he's incredibly good. <laughs> it's astounding to me how, um, how, frail and human I really am at times. I can have a great morning. God can wake me up early in the morning, give me an amazing vision. I can have this profound experience with him. And in the afternoon, I can be a major league jerk to my wife. I don't know how that happens. How can it be so awesome in the spirit in the morning, in his presence, and I'd be such a jerk in the afternoon? But I've done that. You know? And it's just evidence to me that, hey, Zawacki, this is not about how awesome you are. It's about how awesome he is. And that if he can use a donkey, he can use me. And I want that to encourage you. <laughs> I think sometimes God's allowed me to see the things I've seen and experience the things I've experienced so that I can be an example to other people. Like If God could use him, <laughs> he could certainly use me. And Scripture says he's no respecter of persons. So except for his love for me and how good he is, um, there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me except for him. And so if he can show me things, if he can open my eyes, he can open your eyes. And I believe he wants to. I know some of you have seen things. You know what? There's so much more. Don't you agree that we've barely scratched the surface of who God is? I mean, I don't, I don't think we've gone quarter inch deep into who he is. Imagine if we could go another quarter inch. What would that be like? Wow. And he's endless. So 
All that to say is, um, all that was to say that I want to share with you part of a revelatory experience today, a, a supernatural, strange event. I want to share the revelation with you. I want to offer some interpretation and, and some application. Now, just as a, a, a way of teaching, of letting it be a teaching and instructive moment, um, there are different there are different facets, different forms of revelation. <coughs> Things come in different ways. And sometimes, for me, um, it'll all mix together. I'll go from one form of revelation to another, to another, to another. Let me explain. Like, one form of revelation is what we call twilight. You know that time... You, and either before you go to sleep or usually when you wake up in the morning, you're not really asleep. You're not really awake. You're kind of in that in-between place. You know that, that spot? Sometimes God will speak to us in that twilight time. That's the term we, we use to just identify it. Sometimes he'll speak. Many times, for me, God speaks to me out of his word. Maybe the single most effective tool I've found in the last few years as I've seen things in the Spirit is to begin by meditating on Scripture. To take a chunk of the Word, meditate on it, and then God shows me stuff. The third is twilight and then meditating on the Word. The third is vision. That he opens our eyes and we can see in the Spirit. Another degree is what we would call a trance. There are varying degrees of intensity where you're in one realm, but you're aware of another. And sometimes it's, it's, it's subtle. Sometimes it's extremely intense. Sometimes it's like seeing one thing, and I could see through it and still see all you guys. Other times it's like the picture in front of me is so vivid, it's like I'm in it and I'm experiencing it. And then there's another dimension... In the spirit realm, we call translation, where you're taken physically from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. And finally, visitation, where there's an encounter with a heavenly being, where some type of heavenly being goes from their realm and visits us in our realm. Scripture is replete with all examples of all of these. We cover these more extensively in the, the um, streams courses the Understanding Dreams and Visions class, and the, the Advanced Course on Dream Interpretation. So I had this, this experience back on December 30th, 2007. And I keep, this is another thing. If God shows you stuff, keep a record of it. It's really encouraging to go back and review it. And sometimes you'll find that what he showed you way ahead of time is valuable for a, a different season. And some of the lessons you learned then are valuable now. Some of the things he showed you then, he showed you for now. So this one actually came uh, back on December 30th, 2007. And so it began with me opening my eyes, kind of like that twilight time. I'm not quite fully awake. I'm, I'm really not asleep either, but I, I have a digital clock on the side of my bed, and when I open my eyes, it's 5.53. And I just had this jolt of, of, of revelation that, that it was referring to Isaiah 
55.3. It's 5.53 in the morning. And for some reason I knew in my spirit in that instant that it was speaking of Scripture. Isaiah 55.3. I couldn't recall what the specific verse was, so I had to get up and go read it. And when I read it, it really got my attention. It says, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Wow. So get this. God will speak to us in ways that we know it's him. He knows I have a digital clock on the side of my bed. If it was an analog clock, maybe it wouldn't have made such a difference. But as soon as I seen those numbers, Scripture came to mind. And the Scripture says, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I'm thinking this is an invitation to go spend some time with God. I would prefer not to do it at 5.53 in the morning. But I am learning that his ways are not my ways. So I got up. And I meditated on his word. I meditated on Isaiah 55. Great chapter. And he began to show me things. I began to see in the spirit. And at one point in the spirit, I, I saw a large <laughs> American bald eagle. And I knew that I was that eagle. God has a sense of humor. You know? And then I was in a very high place, a mountain ledge. And as this eagle, I was making these booming declarations. At the same time, I was overseeing a nest filled with little eaglets, little baby eagles. And another part in the vision, there was a, there was a two-headed, pale green snake with cloudy eyes that somehow found its way into the, into the eagle's nest. And using the, the sharp uh, beak uh, as this eagle, I snapped off the head, the first head on the left, and snapped off the second head on the right, and the snake just dissolved and disappeared. Turned to sand and just disappeared. Sometimes visions morph into trances, and Trances and visions can overlap. And I'm not sure where one begins and the other ends. But scripture references this. In Acts 10 and in Acts 11, this is what the word of God says about Peter and his experience. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Verse 11 says, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I'm sorry, this is Acts 11 now. And he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. This is the apostle Peter says that in a trance he saw a vision. Now, I'm in no way, shape, or form equating myself to Peter, but he had a trance, and in that trance he saw a vision. The experience I had, visions and trances, they somehow commingled together. 
It's not just Peter. Paul's sharing his testimony to the crowd in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22, verse 17 says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. So in a trance, he too had a vision. He fell into a trance and he saw spiritually. He saw God. And so that kind of that that dynamic happened to me. I just let you know that there's a biblical basis for it. So I had this vision where I'm this large eagle, and I'm at this this high perch, and there are eagles, little eaglets in the nest with me, and this snake comes, pale green snake, and it had cloudy eyes. And I had and I snapped both heads off of that snake, and it turned to sand and disappeared, just dissolved. And at that point, afterwards, after dealing with the snake, um, I began to fly straight up. Soaring would be a better word, just like straight up. There was great freedom, extraordinary joy. And as I flew up in, in, my, in the talons of, and I was still like, a, like an eagle in his vision, the talons in my left hand, there was a, a, re, a, a, a ring of keys, three keys, old-fashioned type keys. You know what old-fashioned keys look like? Kind of long and thin, kind of have like square kind of teeth on one end. Those kind of keys. And on one side of each key was a word written. One key had the word faith. The other had the word hope. And the other had the word love. And as I was going up, I knew that there were demons that were shooting arrows at me. But I was so high in this, in this vision that they couldn't reach me. And so at another point in the experiences, trances become translations where you're taken to another place. And that's what happened to me. It's an increased level of intensity in the experience. I'm not sure how to describe it. I'm in the spirit. One second I'm not, and then another I am. It's like a switch gets flipped for me. At one point I'm just kind of seeing it, and another point I'm taken to another place. This happened to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice. He was in the spirit. What does that mean? I think it means he was in the spirit. <laughs> he was in the spirit realm. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place at this. At once I was in the spirit. So first he's seeing something. He's seeing a door open. And he's hearing something. There's an invitation to come. And then it says, at once I was in the spirit. So there was a change that happened between seeing something and be between being somewhere else. This helps me. <laughs> I have these strange kind of events. I can't tell you how comforting it is to me to read in Scripture Something that explains what feels inexplicable. Very, very comforting. But it's in the Word. It's really God. 
That's, that's, that helps, guys. That really helps. This was John's experience. Have an experience like that, and then you'll read these texts very differently. You begin to say, oh, now I understand. He's not speaking poetically. He's, he's explaining and defining his experience. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 3 of Revelation. He says, Then the angel carried me away in the Spirit into a desert. Chapter 21, verses 9 and 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So he was one place, and in the Spirit he's taken to another place. So... I'm in the spirit. I'm going straight up. I'm being taken from one place to another place. And everything is white and sparkling around me. And as I'm taken from one place to another, I, I change. I'm no longer the eagle. I'm me. I'm just me. And with me are the spirits of wisdom and revelation. I've had many experiences with them. I've shared that with you before. Wisdom. Is on my left, and Revelation is on my right. And that's why this tattoo is red on the left arm, because that's where, where wisdom is, and red is wisdom. And Revelation is blue. That's why this tattoo on my right arm is blue, because the spirit of Revelation is on my right-hand side. That's what the personal significance is for me. That's what it reminds me of. And the spirits of wisdom and Revelation, they've been with me that I'm aware of since July 1st, 2006. It was the 30th anniversary, anniversary of my, my coming to the Lord. And I experienced with them. And they told me that they would always be with me, that God had assigned them to me. Ephesians 1, 17, Paul's prayer. He says, I keep asking that the God, the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. And that's what they told me on that day, that they were given to me so that I would know God better. And here I am being taken from one place to another, this white sparkling place, and as in so many other occasions, they're with me, one on, on each side. And we saw very high and very fast into the heavens. And we come to to an abrupt stop on some type of heavenly plateau. And it's at this point where there's visitation. Not only is wisdom and revelation with me, but I get to see another heavenly being. And he's golden in color, and he's, he carries great authority. As he, we're, we're on this cloud, and he kind of, I'm thinking it's a cloud. It looked like a cloud. It kind of seemed like it was a cloud. And he steps out from the clouds. Very large, golden. He's carrying one of this really long, thin trumpet. He carries great authority. And it's clear that he's about to make an announcement. And he puts this, this long trumpet to his lips. And, and as he begins to play, I'm expecting to hear his trumpet sound, right? You see a trumpet, that's what you expect to see. That's what I expect to see. 
But instead of hearing a trumpet sound, I heard words. And these were the words I heard. And this is what I want to tell you today. Okay? <laughs> it's a new day. The old has passed away. It's a new day. The new has come. It's a new day. The old has passed away. This is a new day. A new song to be sung. And I heard that chorus as he, as, he, as, he, as he made this proclamation on the trumpet. I heard it repeated again and again and again. This is a new day. The old has passed away. This is a new day. The new has come. This is a new day. The old has passed away. This is a new day. A new song to be sung. These phrases were repeated many, many times like a, like a chorus. At one point, there was a, there was a djembe kind of like the one back there. In this, in this experience, I began to play the djembe uh, to, along with this heavenly uh, chorus that was going on. <clears throat> and, and I knew that the, the rhythm represented the, the heartbeat of God, and it resonated with my spirit, and it seemed to reverberate the, the sound. Just You could see like the sound waves vibrating out, impacting both heaven and earth. At one point behind this golden trumpet player, this, this messenger, it was, it was like a curtain opened up. And there was an entire heavenly orchestra. I can't think of a better word to describe it, but it must have been 200 strong. And together they, they, they all joined in. This, this pronouncement, this, this song that was being played on the trumpet, the words that were coming out, they all joined in. And it was just loud and it was full. It was powerful. I felt like they were releasing the message of a new sound for a new day. And it was full, the sound. The sound was clear. There was no distortion. You know when you listen to music? You remember the first time you listened to music with headphones? Or the first time you listened to music with, uh, with the earbuds for an MP3 player? How clear is the sound? You remember the first time you listened to a CD as opposed to like a cassette tape? The difference in the quality of the sound. I can remember as a young Christian, I was in a, I was in a recording studio. And it, it was just perfect, the setup uh, for the sound. And I remember they would, they would play back what we had recorded, and it was the loudest music I'd ever heard, and it was, and it was so crystal clear. This far surpassed that, but it's the closest thing I could compare to it. The music was incredibly loud from this full heavenly orchestra, but, and as full as the sound was and as loud as the sound was, it was crystal clear. There was absolutely no distortion. It was in perfect harmony, and that was powerful. Not only were they making the declaration of a new day, it was done with great unity, without any distortion whatsoever. And I knew that that was the heartbeat of the Father for the generation. I seemed to know that this song was the heartbeat of the Father, and it was never-ending. So that's the revelation. Let me tell you what I think it all means. So the Isaiah 55 three part was an invitation to come to him. And it felt like all of Isaiah 55 was, was significant. I thought the, the, the section where there was this two-headed snake, that was really pronounced early on in this experience. It was pale green with cloudy eyes. 
I felt like it reminded that it, that it, re, it represented a double-mindedness. Two heads, a double-mindedness. James 1 tells us that the double-minded are unstable in all their ways. I felt like the, the fact that the snake was green meant that this double-mindedness had to do with deception, had to do with jealousy, and had to do with envy. And that it had to be dealt with ruthlessly. In the vision, it wasn't like I tried to pet the snake, or if I fed it, maybe I could train it and it would behave better, or maybe I could come up with a nest for it of its own. No, in the vision, there was no dealing with this snake. There, there was no coddling it, and it was absolutely out of place. It could not stay there. It was unwelcome. It was an intruder, and it had to be dealt with ruthlessly. And I knew that it was referring to the, that double-mindedness had to be dealt with without mercy. Snap off its heads. And once it was dealt with, once it was dealt with decisively, once it was dealt with severely, <laughs> that it would just dissolve, and it wouldn't exist anymore. It just disappeared. I felt like we are to deal ruthlessly with double-mindedness in our own lives, certainly for me in my life. That we're responsible for the double-mindedness in our lives, and that we're not responsible for the double-mindedness in other people's lives. Right? You don't get to cut their heads off because there's snakes in their nest. And that once it was dealt with, it dissolved. It powerlessly, excuse me, power, yes, powerlessly removed from our lives. And I note that I didn't get to go higher in the vision until it was dealt with. Once that was dealt with, then boom, we could go much higher. And that there, remember I said there were three keys and the keys were labeled faith, hope, and love. And that the, these keys had to do with our destinies. Keys unlock doors. They open what's locked to us. And so if none of this mattered to you, if you're just sitting there politely saying, oh, I want to go to lunch. When is he going to finish? <laughs> if none of that makes sense to you, just remember this. It, this makes today all worth it. This part right here, okay? The keys to our destiny are faith, hope, and love. If you remember nothing else, remember this. The faith part is Galatians 5, 6. Key to your destiny. The key to going higher to what God has for you. Faith is a key. Galatians 5, 6 says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. That's the New International Version. Can you believe that there's a scripture verse that tells us that the only thing that counts? I need to know what's in the Bible that tells me the only thing that counts. And Galatians 5, 6 says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. First key. Second key is this. It's hope. That's Romans 5, 5. And it tells us that hope does not disappoint. We need to have that key. <laughs> We're going to unlock our destinies. And the third one is this. It's love. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Because love never fails. Faith, hope, and love. You want to have those three keys with you. 
They are what's required to gain entrance into what's next in our lives. Then there was the powerful announcement that it's a new day and the old has passed away. There's a new day that the new had come. It's a new day. The old has passed away and that there's a new song to be sung. I felt like this was very important. It's very, it's extraordinarily good news. It's a new day. The angel said so. The Father's heart. And part of this newness is a God-initiated, God-ordained unity that the heavenly orchestra played as one in perfect harmony is the unity of the Father's heart. The Father likes it when his kids play nice together. He really does. Jesus prayed and asked the Father that we would be one. In John 17, 11, he said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Do you think the Father's going to answer Jesus' prayer? I think the Father will answer Jesus' prayer, that we'll be one. We've been invited into the intimate relationship of the Trinity. We get to participate in the oneness that they have. It's the heartbeat of the Father. We recognize the Father's heart. And where there's harmony, (laughs) it's where we're one. So the application part. I think unity is significant to the the year 2011. Let's agree to put an end to double-mindedness, to deception, to jealousy, to envy in our lives. I think they're the greatest threat to unity. Psalms 133 tells us how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's the place of a commanded blessing. I think there's new sound coming for this year. New worship, new rhythms. I think drums are going to be real significant. I think destinies are going to be unlocked this year, individually, corporately. And that we need to hold on to faith, hope, and love. That they're the keys for us to unlock these things. So let me end with just give you some fatherly tips for the year. Fatherly tips would be this, based upon this, this, this revelation. I tell you, don't look back in the year 2011. Don't look back. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So other, other translations put it this way. Forget and do not dwell on the former things. I love the emphasized Bible. Take on verse 19 when he says, behold me. Exclamation point. Doing a new thing. So along with that, along with not looking back, let's do that. Let's behold him. I think the key to unity is fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
It's the only path to unity. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, the perfecter of our faith. If we focus on unity, we'll never be unified. If we focus on him, he's the unifying factor. He's the only thing that we can all agree with. Now, most of us probably have similar doctrines and theologies. But even in this group, there'll be differences. But we can all agree on him. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's what makes us one. It's the only thing. It's our secret weapon. If we make unity the, the objective, then the only way humans can ob obtain uh, unity is by coming to agreement on the least common denominator. That's not going to get us there. That's not going to get us to fulfill our purpose and destiny. If we make unity things like, even great things, like go and make disciples of all nations, we might be able to do some of that, but we'll not agree on how to do it. The only thing that we can all agree on is him. Jesus is Lord. Let's fix our eyes on him the author and finisher of our faith. Another fatherly tip, along with not looking back and fixing your eyes on Jesus, is know this. You're a new creation. It's a verse I told you to open up to begin with. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Just like I heard in the announcement, in the vision, the old has gone, the new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. I think 2011 is going to be a year of new beginnings, a new day uh, for many of us. It is a new day. It really is a new day. Today is a new day. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless your people. I ask that you would release today uh, keys of faith and hope and love, that every person would have those keys in their hand. Lord, I pray for my friends say that you would open their eyes and give them eyes to see and ears to hear like they've never seen before. I pray that they, could, that they would live supernatural lives in the power of the Spirit. Make it so, God. Do it. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would take us higher, and as, as we have our eyes fixed on you, that you would make us one. Father, answer Jesus' prayer. I pray that you would grant his request and that you would make us one. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And let the Jets win. <laughs> I love you guys. Have an awesome day. And I'll see you next Sunday.